learning to live with COVID. Now, we heard that phrase last week, both from the province's top doctor, Dr. Kieran Moore, and later from the premier, Doug Ford. But what exactly does that mean, learning to live with COVID? What does that look like? Let's welcome in Dr. Raywat Dionandan with the University of Ottawa, who joins us now for more on this. Doctor, good afternoon. Appreciate your time. Good afternoon. Okay, what does learning to live with COVID, uh, what does that mean, uh, I guess, first off to you? It's a a tough question. First of all, I hate the phrase learning to live with COVID because it implies surrender to COVID, and it should not. It should imply that we're still doing a lot of things from a public health standpoint, and there is still much we still can do from an individual standpoint. What it likely means at its most basic level is we should expect the next few years, probably, um, that many people will be investigating getting additional booster shots, especially as new variants arise, and that the wearing of masks will be normalized, not for everybody, but for when you're sick, like we do in Asia. So there's no going back to the 2019 normal, at least not entirely, and maybe we shouldn't. As a, a physicist named uh, Marco Piani tweeted me earlier, the 2019 normal is what got us into this. And there's some things we should not normalize. We should move forward by having things like paid sick days and normalizing of mask wearing and having people stay home when they're sick. These things will help enormously. But from strictly a COVID standpoint, it probably means accepting that there's going to be some level of transmission of COVID for the foreseeable future. But the ideal is it won't be newsworthy. It'll be something that public health can handle in the distance. It'll occasionally make the news when there's an outbreak in a school or something. But uh, when vaccines become available to children, this should be mostly controllable. Yeah. And doctor, when you say that you don't like that phrase, learning to live with COVID, is that because to a lot of people, I mean, you mentioned the word uh, surrender, we're just surrendering uh, to the virus. And is there also concern amongst public health officials learning to live with COVID means that we get rid of some of those or abandon all of these public health measures that you just uh, spoke of and that we've got to be uh, really precise when it comes to our wording and our messaging uh, when we look at COVID and living with it uh, today and into the future? Yeah, I mean, the phrase learning to live with COVID has been bandied about since day one of the pandemic by people seeking to minimize the pandemic. Uh, people saying that, you know, we're always going to have this disease, so why are we having these economic restrictions? Why mass mandates? Why vaccine mandates? Well, the reason for those mandates is so that we can drive the level of transmission as low as we can, so that when we open up society, the levels we have to deal with are small enough that public health can tackle them without the need for further restrictions. So the phraseology is reminiscent of those early days of people minimizing the pandemic. What we need to do is have people understand that um, we're not we're not tolerating the pandemic. We will have. Uh, suppressed it to a sufficient extent that it's no longer a threat to everyday society. That's the goal here. We probably can't eradicate it. Most definitely we can't eradicate it. We might be able to eliminate it, meaning we drive it from our shores. Unlikely though. That leaves something between elimination and control of viruses is where we're going to land. And that means tolerating transmission to some extent. But like other diseases, like chickenpox and measles, we tolerate that because we have mandatory vaccination campaigns for places like schools. We tolerate tuberculosis because we have a strong surveillance system in Canada that prevents the importation of tuberculosis into certain areas. Other diseases that we live with, we do so because of the strong public health restrictions that are put into place. This will be like that. 
And when we also talk about living with COVID, will it mean different things to different people? I mean, there's going to be some people who, you know, will dive right in or very eager to get back to life to, you know, quote unquote, to normal. Others will be, doctor, a little more uh, hesitant that, uh, you know, they're going to be a little more uh, cautious that uh, maybe they've gone through some sort of trauma during the uh, pandemic. I mean, does the the messaging uh, need to be kind of uh, tailored that way as well from uh, health officials? Yeah, totally. And there's, um, there are reasons that are psychological and reasons that are grounded in physical measurable aspects. For example, I have a child who's under five who cannot be vaccinated yet. So until that child is vaccinated, I'm not living uh, open-heartedly and open, uh, open what I'm looking for, and, and flagrantly with this virus. I'm going to do everything I can to protect him from exposure. So for people with vulnerable people in their lives who can't be vaccinated, there's a different reality in place here. Or people for whom the vaccines don't work or who can't be vaccinated for medical purposes, they have a different reality. Or the immunocompromised. So we have to be cognizant and sensitive to the needs of those groups who are have every right in society to live as freely as we do. So um, yeah, you're right. There's, there's going to be a heterogeneous acceptance and a heterogeneous level of comfort with the new reality, which is why it's incumbent upon all of us to do what we can to drive transmission rates as low as possible so that, quote unquote, living with the virus is less of a problem than it otherwise could have been mentioned uh, masking a few moments ago. I also wanted to ask you what sort of mitigation tools will need to remain in place as we, you know, quote, unquote, again, uh, live with COVID, learn to live with uh, COVID. Uh, and do you see uh, these mitigation tools in place just uh, in the short term or, or maybe for the long term? Well, some are short term, some are long term. I think um, mandatory masking policies would be around a bit longer. Um, but they will fall by the wayside eventually. What will be normalized is the wearing of masks when you are sick with anything, like they do in Asia. There should be no stigma associated with wearing a mask on the subway or the bus or something. It's, it's a responsible thing to do. Um, other things are symptom checks. I think that's not going around, away for a long time. Asking people, maybe even uh, making it mandatory, that if you've got symptoms of a respiratory disease, do not come to work. It's just not worth it. Maybe having mandatory testing regimes for COVID for a few years for some professions in some areas. That's, that's not disruptive at all. I think the, the, the vaccine mandate will remain in place for many professions like they have for other diseases. And I think, I think capacity limits will be in place to some extent, but they'll fall by the wayside pretty fast. Vaccine passports will go sometime this year, I think, uh, when the vaccination rates for the third doses ramp up sufficiently and maybe when uh, the new Omicron-specific vaccines get rolled out as well. So uh, most of these mitigation tools will fall by the wayside, but the big ones are surveillance-based, by which I mean the ability to detect and monitor the cases uh, using things like symptom checks and testing. All right, just finally, I got less than a minute here, but do you believe, Dr. Dionandon, that we're you know, at the beginning of the end, and by that I guess uh, I mean the, the start of this becoming an endemic instead of a pandemic? Well, that's a loaded question. Endemic has a specific meaning. It means no more waves. So yeah, I think we're going to have an endemic disease by sometime this year, at least locally here in Canada. Globally, not so much. Globally, we're going to be wrestling with this pandemic for another couple of years, unless we do something extraordinary to push vaccination around the world. But locally in Canada, we should be done with this this year, probably sooner rather than later, unless something really untoward happens, which is always in the cards with COVID. So don't, don't quote me on that. All right, doctor, really appreciate the time and your insight with us this afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Thank you. Dr. Raywat Dionandan is with the University of Ottawa. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.